morning and turn to 1 Peter as we continue in our series on everyday community. And uh, once again, taken from some bits and pieces of everyday church, everyday community part two today. <clears throat> Before we move on, let me remind you of a few thoughts from last week's message as you're turning to 1 Peter. We start out with a question from the authors of the book, Everyday Church, which asks this question. Imagine you woke up one day to discover that you had become a missionary in a foreign land. The language, the culture, the worldview, and the values are all unfamiliar to you. Fortunately, you're part of the team. What are you going to do? Together you are going to learn the language, the culture, you're going to explore how the Bible story interacts with the outlook of the people around you. You're going to try to connect with them at a relational level. What all that means is this, is that functionally, we must live as missionaries in the world that we live in. You and I must go beyond the information that we know that God's Word says that we are to functionally living that out in our lives as missionaries of the gospel where we live. So we further explain that there are two realities in this world that we live in. First, we cannot expect the world to be like us. We're believers. We're children of God, and we have, a, as according to that nature, a different set of purposes and guidelines to live by. And then secondly, we must remember that this is not our culture anymore. As I reminded all of us that the days of Little House in the Prairie are over. Um, Father Alden is not the person that everybody's going to for advice. And the town hall meetings that were everything that they got set with are not taking place at the local church in the center of town. Functionally, this is not a Christian culture any longer. So considering ourselves to be missionaries as we further that thought today, how do we reach the world around us? Consider that you personally, you yourself, are a missionary going to a new country. What are some of the steps that you'll be considering? First of all, you're going to ask yourself a lot of questions. What is the culture of the people that God has called me to reach? What is the culture of the people that we are seeking to reach? What is their neighborhood like? What are their people like? What are their stories? What is it that these people value? What is it that these people appreciate? What is the worldview of the people you are trying to reach? Remember, you're a missionary, and you're going to spread the gospel to that people that God has called you to. I grew up in a very missionary-minded church. In fact, the highlight of the church that uh, I grew up in was that every year they had a fall missions conference. And every year the goal was to raise the amount of dollars that would be sent to missionaries. Uh, maybe some of you remember those days. And uh, every year there'd be excitement as we grow, as we draw into this time of year. And uh, pastor would always have missionaries come in as a larger church, and they would fly missionaries in from all over the world. And we'd have usually six, eight, nine missionaries and their families there with us. And uh, we'd do, do it all up. You know, on Sunday at 5 o'clock hour, there'd be, you know, all these missionaries in all the side rooms of all the church building. Every room was filled in. And then during the 6 o'clock hour, you know, there would be a keynote speaker, and you know, it's all about missions. 
And as we would hear the stories of what God was doing and how God was preparing these people for the field that God had called them to reach, a lot of things came to my mind. They were a fish out of water. Think about it. Here they grew up in good old America, knowing English, and started to follow the American dream. Then all of a sudden God says, nope, not for you. You're going over there. And all of a sudden everything changed. And all of a sudden, now there's a language. I don't have a clue what they're saying. And by the way, that's an awkward position. I grew up in four years of Bible, or three years of Bible college with roommates who were from Paisan to Uruguay. And I could know every time they were talking to me, blah, 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 Ken, blah, 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 Ken, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you saying about me now? I always knew when they were talking about me because they'd be laughing, you know, and I'm just like, and I was bigger than all of them. I just kind of put them in a headlock a little bit and they stopped talking about me. No, I was kidding. But... It's an awkward situation when you're in an environment and you're the odd duck out. But God has called you to reach them. And you have a language to learn. And not only the language, you have a traditions and cultures to get caught up on. Statistics to read up on. And you're learning everything you can learn about that field that God has called you to for one reason. What is it? So that you might reach them. You know, we should be a missional, and what that means is missionary-minded church. Now, I'm not talking about supporting missions. We do that. I'm thankful for that. But what that more importantly means is that you and I consider ourselves missionaries in the culture that we live in. Is this not the culture that God has called us to reach? Yes or no? We might know the language. We might know the traditions. We might know the holidays. We might know what people live for here in America. But I would challenge you, do you know the culture? I would challenge you on that. Do you know the culture in which we live? Because the culture of today is not the culture of five years ago. It's not the culture of 10 years ago. It's certainly not the culture of 20 years ago. Our culture is constantly evolving and changing. And for those of you that would challenge that, I ask you this question. Those of you that are 70 years old, do you have a clue of how your grandson or granddaughter who is under 13 thinks? It's a different world. You sit back and say, what in the world are they thinking? Some of them are saying about your kids, let alone the grandkids. They have a different set of values, a different set of things that are important to them, a different way of thinking. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, how, can you, how could you have loved our previous president? It's a different world. It's a different set of values, a different set of appreciations challenge you. Do you know the culture in which you live? Because this is a culture that God has called you to reach. In fact, I love what he says. I'm going to read one paragraph this morning. He says, a missional small group, this is from uh, I believe Tim Keller as he identifies the characteristics of a missional church. He says, a missional small group is not necessarily one which is doing some kind of specific evangelism program though that may be recommended. Rather, number one, if its members love and talk positively about the city or neighborhood to which God has called you. 
Number two, if they speak in a language that is not filled with pious tribal or technical terms and phrases, nor disdainful embattled language. Number three, if their Bible study, they apply the gospel to the core concerns and stories of the people in their culture. If they are obviously, number four, interested in engaging with the literature and art and thought of the surrounding culture and can discuss it, both appreciatively and yet critically. Number five, if they exhibit deep concern for the poor and generosity with their money and purity and respect with regard to opposite sex and show humility towards people of other races and cultures. Six, they do not bash other Christians in churches. Oops. I think it just hit the nail on the head for some of us. They don't bash. Then seekers and non-believing people from the city. A, will be invited and B, will come and will stay as they explore spiritual issues. If these marks are not there, it will only be able to include believers or traditional Christianized people. That's what we've been saying for a long time. The longer we're in church, the more tunnel vision we have for people in the world around us because we're only around Christian people all the time. We have no clue what takes place in the world around us. And furthermore, you don't really care. We need to be missional. We are missionaries, personally, you and I, to the world that we live in. And we need to understand our culture and do that. So he asked three questions. Where, when, what? Where, when, what? A couple thoughts are on where. So as a missionary would go off to, say for example, Scotland. Or a missionary might go to the Aborigine people of New Zealand. Or New Guinea. New Zealand. If a missionary would go to the people of India. Where is the culture, I'm sorry, where might you go to meet people socially? Where, where might you find people engaged in everyday activities like sports, entertainment, or social gatherings? Where do people go to engage in community activities? Now I want you to ask this question. You live here in America. Some of you live in Pittsburgh. Some of you live in Caledonia. Some of you live in Henrietta, West Henrietta, what have you, all around the Rochester umbrella. I'd ask you these questions. Where might you go to meet people socially? outside of church where might you go to find people who are engaged in everyday activities like sports entertainment social gatherings where do people go to engage in community events and I would ask one further question do you care about going there I've shared the story about one of my friends in Indiana who for the last 14 years volunteers at uh, Concord High School football games every Friday night. He has no children in the system. He has no grandkids in the system. He's there for one reason. Volunteers his time to reach, reach and meet people. Everybody comes up to the concession stands and he gets to know them. And over 14 years of doing this, he's been able to impact a lot of lives. Does it for one reason, meet people. Tries to be missional tries to be focused about what God is calling him to do. How about the when question? When do people move about to do their shopping or their social connecting? When do people celebrate their traditions or special holidays? When should you be available to participate or observe their cultural observances? I remember being in Monterrey, Mexico with 
40 of our teenagers from Indiana. And it was a great mission trip. During the day, you saw a person here and there walking down the streets. But come dusk, the city came alive. It was like there was nobody in sight in comparison during the day. But as soon as the sun went down, I mean, the street carts came out, the portable taco booths came out, which were good, by the way. And uh, every, I mean, the streets were flooded once it got dark. If I were a missionary in Monterey, I don't think I'd probably be out trying to evangelize during the morning hours. I would be out and about town come dusk because they came out by the thousands. It was amazing how many people came out as soon as the sun hit dusk. So here in America, when do people move about to do the shopping and social gatherings? They say, well, pastor, I get off work, I'm tired. Right. And because we're tired, we're going to go back and we're going to grab the remote, we're going to sit back on our chair, we're going to watch a little bit of the boob tube, and we're just going to, you know, boom, we're going to be glued to it, and that's where we're setting for the night. Until it's time to do supper, and then it's a little bit after supper cleanup, and then we're going to get ready for bed, and then we're going to hang out, watch a little bit more news, read a little, do a little bit of reading. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even more so on Saturday, because that's what we do in America, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest. When does ministry take place? in trying to reach the world and the culture that we live in, that God has placed us in to reach. When do people celebrate their traditions? Well, we know that. But that's family time, and how dare we put the idea of going somewhere outside of that. Yeah, trust me, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'd love to be around family some of those times, but ours is in Texas and Minnesota and in between and all over. And so family is very important, doesn't it? But where does time for reaching out in our culture fit in? Where does that fit in? Where does it functionally fit into our schedules? When should you be available to participate or observe in the social gatherings of our culture? A couple of you are doing this, and I appreciate it. A couple of you are going to the coffee shops. And you know what I find when I go to the coffee shops now? Now, there are certain ones that I like because God, God himself knows that Tim, or Tim, Tim Hortons is the ordained coffee of our day and age. Um, other people like Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, but the, the ordained choice of God is Tim Hortons. No commercials, but truth. Um, I find that when I go into a Starbucks, it's almost awkward. But I go in there every once in a while, and I'll grab my backpack, and I'll sit the one up here, uh, cross Jefferson there. And what I find is I'm not a college yuppie anymore. I mean, I'm not as old as some of y'all, but I'm not 20 either. And I'm just that guy that's kind of sitting there reading a book and wondering, these people are all engaged in the politics of the hour. They're all engaged in classwork. And I'm trying to think, okay, what's my opening line here? And you know what I find? It's hard. Anybody else find that? It's hard sometimes. So I'm trying to listen to the guy next to me, and I'm trying to think, 
what is he going to say that I can say, <laughs> yeah, that's right, you know, what about, and, and open a line. And I find it's not easy as it once was. I'm the guy that's never had a problem meet, talking and meeting a complete stranger and having a conversation. But throw the twist of the gospel in there, and religion, and spiritual matters. And you got to think twice, because it's not easy. Well, God understands it's not easy, so that's your out. He gets it. Right? No. But when should you be available to have those conversations? When does it functionally fit into our schedules? Because, I don't know about y'all, but after the workday, you're tired, right? I mean, and after you eat, you want to just sit back and relax because your stomach's full and you're tired and you just want to vegetate till bedtime. So when does it functionally fit in if our life is revolved around taking care of self? When does it fit into our schedules? I found that if you don't plan it, you plan not to do it. So you've got to take the opportunities. You've got to pray for opportunities. Oh, we're talking about praying for the lost, praying for those that need Jesus. Praying that God would open up doors of opportunities when they're going through struggles and trials and you say, you know, God has an answer for that. But he won't use you if you're not available. Or how about the what? What are the fears, the hopes, the hurts, the struggles, the aspirations, or disappointments of the people you are called to reach? How do you know that unless you have a conversation? I guarantee you, as sure as I'm standing here, there are people all around us that are going through some hurts and some struggles and some trials and some disappointments that you will never know about unless you have that conversation with them. Because they're not going around saying, hey, guess what? I'm going through this difficult thing. I just thought you should know this. I find a lot of people are private. I can respect that. But I also find that a lot of people are wanting somebody to care for them. They want somebody to know what they're going through, right? Is that true? What are the barriers to reaching your mission field? Whether it's language or understanding the culture, what are the barriers that you over, have to overcome? God says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. He says in Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. Acts 1 says you'll receive that power and then you should be witnesses unto me. He's given us the tools, but are we available to be used? What might open doors of opportunity for God to use me to reach my mission field? I think some of the struggles, let's put ourselves back into this picture again. You and I are missionaries. God's called us to Montreal. A couple years ago, I had a, it was about four years ago, we had a mission, a youth pastor say, asked me if he could bring his youth group through here on a Friday night, save expensive a motel room, and I said, sure. I asked him where he was going, he said, we're going up to Montreal. I don't know if the statistic is still true today, but I believe it's very close, if not true. It's like the suicide attempt capital of the world. More people attempt suicide, I was told at least four years ago, in Montreal than in any other country. People seemingly have no hope, frustrated, overwhelmed, 
A lot of suicide attempts. That's a barrier to overcome. They need Jesus. I'm thinking of what might open doors of opportunity here in America. Listening to their stories. Having the conversations. Knowing what God's using in their life to get their attention. And unfortunately in our culture, there are some things that open doors, like food. I mean, if you... Food opens doors. Did you know that? I'm just telling you it does. It works. It's open doors. But gifts, time, time opens doors. Are we willing to be used? I found, oh, it must be close to 15, 17 years ago, God called me to work in a small rural community, a, far, a farming community. And in that community, you're not part of the community until one of your kids marries one of their kids. And even then, you're not part of the community, really. You just happen to get in because your kid's married. It was difficult. And I started asking God, what's going to open a door here? I found in the small rural farming community, you know what the hub of everything was? The fire department. The all-you-can-eat pancake and sausage breakfast on Saturday mornings. It was the open door. It's where everything that was anything of a significance or importance or the lack thereof took place. So I went through the training, got my state mandatory minimums in, went through some training, became a firefighter. For six years, I fought fires. Six years, I drove engines. Six years, I drove paramedics around. It opened the doors. Where Ken was nothing, all of a sudden Ken had a voice. And although they did not come to my church a ton, I wrote resumes for the guys in the fire department, helped them get better jobs. I did a ton of, premar- a ton of marital counseling, half the guys in the fire department. God opened doors for ministry through, through the local fire department. And it was fun. But it was the open door. The other open door was bailing hay. You haven't lived until you bailed hay. I'm telling you, it wasn't fun. If you've ever bailed hay, by the time you're done at the end of the day, your hands are blood scratched from here to here. Anybody done that? Some of you older folks, you know that. It's not easy. But it was the open door. As I was willing to go out and bale hay for the, on the weekends during, during harvest, it was the open door. Who has God placed in your sphere of influence? What are the barriers to reaching them? And what might open the door for you to administer with them, to them? You and God know that answer. The question is, will you let God use you? Will you be available for him to use you? (coughs) Well, this is a sermon, so I need to get in the Bible here. So, what will be your greatest motivation to reach the people God called you to? I think there has to be at least two motivation, motivational factors. Number one, a willingness to love in the face of hostility and hatefulness. I don't know if you haven't realized it yet, but the world doesn't love Christianity. And sometimes for good reason. 
What did Gandhi say? He goes, I like your God. I just don't know that I like your, his people. Because there is a sense of hypocrisy amongst many. Faith has to be genuine, authentic. We've been talking about this, and we're going to keep talking about it until we get it. But a willingness to love, even in the face of hostility and hatefulness, and number two, a willingness to learn a different ideology where God has for us to live. But first of all, willingness to love. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they may speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good work, glorify God in the day of visitation. Regardless of how people act, whether or not they appreciate you, like you, appreciate your Christianity or not, we need to conduct ourselves honorably among the world that we live in. Are we willing to conduct ourselves honorably? We need to be above reproach. We need to do what's right, even though the world around us may not be. Because we represent Jesus Christ. Conducting ourselves honorably. You've heard me say numerous times as it comes up in passages of Scripture, what is the definition of the word honor? It means to give value to. Live your life with value. Conduct your lives in a sense of value. You're valuing God and what He has for you. 1 Peter 2, verse 15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. What is our nature? When someone makes an accusation or when they make a statement that you know is false, when they do something that you don't agree with, we want to set the record straight. Anyone else like me? I want them to know the truth. I want, I'm going to let them know that what they're thinking is wrong and this is why it's wrong. And just let me tell you, I, I resist every urge on Facebook and social media to just let people know how it really is. Some of y'all give in to that. And I just say, we've got to walk away. got to walk away. Why would we expect the world around us to agree with us? Isn't that amazing what he says here? For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people, what? By doing good. You just... Mind your own business and do what's right. Just stick to it. Do what's right. Don't get in the middle of everyone's arguments. Don't get in the middle of everyone else's business. I was on a train for 22 hours, heading from one part of India over to Kerala. I was like 12 hours there and 12 hours back on a, on a train. And just let me tell you, you meet a lot of people on a train in India. And the one question that I'll never forget was a gentleman who was sitting right on the opposite aisle from me. He says, what is it about Americans and America that they think they have to be a part of everyone's business? That was his perception. I was told a long time ago that if we have a reputation, it's for one reason. We've earned it. But isn't that true? It's like us to be up everyone else's business. God's word says just stick to your stuff. Silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Do good. How about this one? 1 Peter 2.20. And remember, the whole context of this 1 Peter is that he's writing to people who are dispersed. They're in a foreign land. It's not really their place. 
They're the outsiders coming in. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 20. <clears throat> he says, For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it? But when you do, what is good and suffer if you endure it? This brings favor with God. Oh, wait a minute. If I endure suffering, it somehow brings favor with God? Yeah, I don't have to understand it, but that's what he says. I'd rather have favor with God than favor with man. So if that means going through a little bit of frustration, hurt, a little bit of suffering, I'd say it's worth it. Agree? Because it's going to draw us favor with God. Because once again, we live in a world that is not Christian any longer. We're the outsiders. And we just need to do what's right. Verse 24, chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness, and you've been healed by his wounds. Because he died. He says he's called us to live according to righteousness. In a world that doesn't always appreciate Christianity. I say that's a challenge that we must heed. Chapter 3, verse 11. And he must turn away from evil to do what is good, and he must seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their request. And who is this directed to? Verse 10. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I'd say, you know what that means? Guard your testimony. Guard your words in a lost world. Think before you speak. Turn away from evil. Do what is good. Seek peace. Pursue it. And God says, I'll be on your side. <coughs> Look at verse 13. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? That's kind of like what we call a rhetorical question. Who's going to harm you? In fact, didn't God say in the, in the Gospels, um, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? And didn't he just say on, on occasion that what, what harm can the world do to you? They, they can't hurt you. Because if they kill you, guess what? You graduate. What's wrong with that? I mean, i got no death wishes. I don't want to die tomorrow or anything. But you know what? When we die, we're going to heaven. Who will harm you if you're deeply committed to what is good? You ever met somebody who is just deeply convicted that they need to live a certain way? Don't you appreciate that? Respect that? You're not going to break them. Look at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God has for you. Because I would rather suffer doing good and be in the center of God's will than to not. And let me just say this. God may have for you to suffer a little bit. What is it that we pray for most as we pray every day? Yeah, exactly. We don't have to suffer. God, keep me free from an accident. Keep, put, your, put your blessing around my family. 
Pray that we don't get sick, that we don't get ill, that we don't have to go through any struggles. We pray for a life of ease, don't we? Come on. We pray for that. Not only do we pray for it, we expect it. That God is just going to give me a good life. And we want nothing that is harmful, distracting, frustrating. We, we don't want any of that. We pray for a life of ease. But God says, for some of you, it's my will that you suffer. And not only does he say it's his will, he says, it's better if you suffer in the middle of my will than to suffer for doing wrong and living in an evil fashion. But why is suffering not a bad thing? Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring you to God. And after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. He died, but it was, it was a temporary death. It was for a purpose. And suffering brings us to God. I don't know about you, but as a child of God, when we go through suffering, who do we need to turn to? God. He's the only one that gets through it. One more. 1 Peter 4, 19. So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to the faithful creator. So as you go through the suffering, what's our job? Draw even closer. Draw even closer to God through the suffering. Because he's the one that has allowed it. He's the one that will sustain you through it. He's the one that will see you through the other end of it. And if you live long enough to go through some sort of difficult trial, you'll see that. It's God who is faithful. So we need to have a willingness to love in the face of hostility and suffering and hatefulness around us. But number two, a willingness to learn a different ideology. You see, here in America, we have an ideology that we live by. You know, here's what it is. Let me explain it in a nutshell. It's materialism. We get up in the morning, we go to work so that we can have a house, and we got to pay for that house, and we got to have food in the house, got to have blankets, got to have warm beds, got to have a car, and so we go to work, we work more hours, and we, and we want to get a comparable and fair and just compensation to justify all the hard work that I'm putting in, so they need to understand that and recognize that and reward me for that. And then every once in a while, because we're tired, we need to you know, go on a vacation because I've earned that and desire that, and it should be entrusted to me. And, and, the, and it goes on. The cycle just keeps going on all through life, doesn't it? Come on, we all live there. Let's be honest. We all live there. We need to change the ideology. The grand prize is not having a successful, blessed life. Despite what we may think, it's not about getting everything we want and having a comfortable life. That's what we've been programmed to think and believe. But that was not of God. That's a man's man-made ideology. So am I willing to learn something different? Because remember, we are foreigners in this world that God has called us to live in. We're missionaries to a culture around us, right? Right? We're on the same page here, right? Thank you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.14 So he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. What's he saying here? Before you came to Christ, before you put your faith and trust in him, before you believed in Jesus, 
there was a way of living that you believed in. Call it the American dream. Call it having a successful life. Call it being comfortable. Call it whatever you want. But there is a manner in which you lived, and most people live, outside of Christ and before Christ. And here's what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former call it lifestyle. Because when Christ comes in, he says in 2 Corinthians, all things are made new. Old things are passed away. All things are your new creation in Christ. That means the life I had before Christ should be different than the life I have in Christ. Am I willing to change my way of thinking on that? Am I willing? Do I, am I? Do I have a willingness to learn a different ideology? How about First Peter two eleven? Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary res- residents to abstain from fleshly desires at war against you. What is it that causes angst when there's financial difficulties and struggles? When positions and places of our career and our Employment are upsetting. What is it that causes distraction? I think he nails it here. We're temporary residents in the world that we live in. I know it goes against our thinking, but those fleshly desires war against that calling that God has given us. So guard against it. Um. Verse 18, chapter 1 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without defect or blemish. We have something greater that we've been called to. And one more. 1 Peter 4, 2 and 3. 1 Peter 4, 2 says, In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. That's a different ideology. What has God called us to live for? For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry, so they are surprised that you don't plunge in with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. It says, listen, there ought to be a difference away from how we live according to how the world lives. Surprise them that we don't want to join in. So what type of love is Peter recommending here in this world that we live in? One last verse. 1 Peter 1.22 By obedience to the truth having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you've been born again. God's done a work in your life. He's calling us to love the world that we live in, to love our brothers, to love those around us. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by our what? Love for one another. Well, they're different than I am. I'll say it again as I've said it numerous times in previous messages. To love someone doesn't mean necessarily that I accept their way of living. There's a lot of people I love, but I don't accept their way of living. I don't accept their lifestyle just because I'm called to love them. Love doesn't mean total acceptance. 
loving someone means I care for them. I'm, I'm committed to them. I'm going to help them, even though I may not disagree with them in every area. It's God's love working through us. And the world needs to see it. They need to see it modeled. As believers, we've said it many times, we're more noted for what we're against than what we're for. I want our love to this world around us. God's called us to this. You're missionaries and temporary residents in a world that is not your home. Heaven is our home. But some of us are planting our roots so deep as though we're never going to leave. That's a struggle. We don't intentionally do it, but we don't intentionally not do it. God's called us to live as missionaries, to reach the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's what changes lives. Amen? Let's do that. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to look to you and to see from your word and to talk about these things and Lord just to be committed to what you've called us to I ask God that you'd help us Lord because we cannot do this in and of ourselves we can't we're, we're unable we need your Holy Spirit to open up doors of opportunity we need your Holy Spirit to give us power and courage and boldness we need your Holy Spirit to live the life that you've called us to Lord and I ask God that you would help us to do that daily. Daily that we might be mindful of what you've called us to do and to be. So God, would you work in our hearts this morning?